0: Hello there, uh, welcome to Neither the Time Nor Space, a brand new Doctor Who podcast, a really really novel idea, I don't know why no one's thought to try making a podcast about Doctor Who before, but here we are. Um, my name's David, and joining me is my good friend Matt. Hello there. Hello. Um, and basically, to give a bit of background on what we're doing, yeah, we're kind of going to be doing a episode by episode troll through the series, starting with the new series, Um But what I think will make it slightly interesting is that whilst I am a seasoned fan, Matt here is um, something of a Doctor Who sceptic? Yeah, I I have no relationship with the show, (laughs) but my perception of it is not that positive. I think it's fair to say the two of us sort of Bond over our love of sci fi, but Doctor Who is the, the issue between <laughs> us. And, um, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Like, we both, you know, we'd happily talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe for hours on end. Yeah, and, um, and obviously, we met playing Dungeons and Dragons together. Yes, so. yes. Um, which has brought many a nerd together over the mm. years. Um, but yeah, it, it, it kind of staggered me when I discovered that, you see. It, the only episode of Doctor Who you have seen is the 1996 Paul McGann movie. That's right. <laughs> 11 years old. 11 years old. I, I, amazingly, despite my skepticism, I actually quite enjoyed that. You know as what? As a young man. I did at the time, because we're about the same age. Um, yeah. And I always I refer to myself as a, as a child of the wilderness, because there was this so-called wilderness years of Doctor Who, okay. when obviously it went off the air and I think, 19... Oh... The, the nerds are going to write in now. Oh, 79. I, I've Googled yeah. it. I'd yeah, seventy nine. it's 79. Uh, it's not. It'll be 89, maybe. It could be 89. It, it, it's either 89 or 90. Um, but, yeah. So we kind of... I mean, I was, I think, three or four years old. When it went off the air. So I just missed that boat. And whilst obviously there was spin off novels and, and and things like that, basically there was just no Doctor Who for our generation to access readily. All the stuff that was coming out, all of the tie in stuff, was really aimed at fans who'd already been established in, you know, previous generations. So, yeah, we, we grew up in the wilderness years. Doctor Who, I, I think it was around? Like, you. I always so, feel like it's. So, like, like, I, other than the mid-90s movie, my most poignant memory of Doctor Who is the Mr. Bean Christmas special <laughs> where he plays with a toy Dalek in the nativity scene. Yeah. That is my endearing memory of <laughs> Doctor Who, the Mr. Bean Christmas special. But that's the thing. It's like, even though we were growing up at a time where there wasn't really Doctor Who on the TV, you knew what it was. Yeah. It as was, was like... As it a was a touchstone. Yeah, it's it's like Robin Hood or yeah, like yeah. Jam Roly Poly. Like No one knows how they <laughs> knew it it was just there. Exactly. Yeah, it's just this part of the British consciousness. Mm. Um, so it always had that allure to me as a result and even though like because I wasn't in a position where I was able to just like go out and buy VHSs or uh, stuff like that uh, but whenever it, I I saw that it was on in the schedules like I remember there were repeats of Genesis of the Daleks and um interestingly I think it was either Spearhead from Space or Terror of the Autons, which is one of the two classic yeah, Autons stories. Means which means are... nothing. <laughs> yeah, we'll <laughs> get there, we'll get there. Um, but anyway, um, so I would catch the occasional classic serial, mm. and I, I also remember, like, the, the Paul McGann movie was a big deal in my household, because, like, my, my parents were not, they were not, like, massive Doctor Who fans, but, you know, they loved their sci-fi, Star Trek mm. Next Generation, all that sort of stuff. Um... And they certainly grew up watching Doctor Who, and if they knew it was on, they'd make a point of gathering the family and, you know, Mm -hmm. let's watch the Doctor Who. So um, the fact that there was a a brand new Doctor Who for a new era, I was terribly excited about that. I remember being kind of crushed when I realised months down the line that that was it. That's what we were going to get. Because um, it was enjoyable. I mean, like looking back on it now, it has I, problems. I have very, very vague memories of uh, it. But uh, at some point, if we, if, time, we long, if we go long, if we go enough, we should go back and a look Christmas at that special in there. Yeah, it's but. it's it's fascinating. I think it makes an, an interesting comparison as well to this episode we're going to be discussing Rose in that. I think. You could tell that Russell T. Davis, the writer and showrunner of the new series, learnt a lot from the mistakes of that film. Okay. He avoids a lot of the mistakes that that one made in quite interesting ways, so, and maybe makes new mistakes. I, I was day. just about to say, <laughs> I don't think this episode's without its mistakes. No, I think it's certainly um, as you, you were saying to me that like you think Doctor Who is a bit of a kids' show and stuff, yeah. like, and i said not really certain do. the target audiences. Is. is it children? Is it fans of the original? Is it nerd like who is this show for? Um, I think the honest answer is it's in an ideal world everyone. It is meant to be a family show. So, yeah, they want kids to be watching it, but they want their parents to be watching it with them. It's meant to be a let's gather around the telly, let's watch a bit of Doctor Who together as a family. And I do think at its best it does that very well, but um, there are times, I think especially in this first series where they are figuring a lot of that stuff out like mm. what does it mean to be a family show in two thousand five when you know it's been off the air for so long, and they want to try a lot of things differently to how it was done before, but there may be also there is some tonal inconsistencies.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, 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 but um, uh, anyway, to, look, we're, to, we're kind of already into it. So let's say, so so go, going yeah. with tonal inconsistencies. Yeah. Okay, I've watched <laughs> the episode twice. One <laughs> above one, and beyond the Call of Duty. One thing I just could not wrap my head around was the opening, which I've I've made some notes. Okay, and I've just said from the opening, could you deduce? this was set in London. Because I found it really hard to tell from the several thousand establishing shots of (laughs) London and famous London landmarks where this was set. It was the most... I've written down that. It's the most Phil Redmond opening. (laughs) This was Hollyoaks. Mm. You know, it was London, London, London. Let's move on. I think, well, I mean, yeah, obviously they wanted to be pretty clear i think that you know we are starting in the here and now and i actually i'm i'm fond it's cheesy but i am fond of that that opening where you know you start out with with this like you know a view from earth from from deep space and then we whoosh in it's i mean it's the effects are of their time yes it's 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 weird it's weird for me to be talking about you know the 2005 series as though it's of its time but Mm. it definitely is um and then you know we zoom right and then bang all of a sudden we are in you know ro- you know rose's alarm clock and we we are down the stairs, here we are in the here and now well, and yeah that that was my next issue Yeah. No, it's not entirely <laughs> negative okay we see her run downstairs go to work blah 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 she works in a department store yeah how do, do we tell that she she is in mm-hmm. a shop folding clothes in no form of uniform no staff badge, no lanyard. Like what is she doing there? I I have a feeling, I don't know. Maybe you know, she maybe they didn't quite have the budget for a name badge. Yeah, I mean she's literally just dressed in civvies. It, She'd be sacked. Yeah. If I was in charge. Ship up or shape out, I'd be telling her. Yeah. I, 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 that, that one is hard for me to disagree with. I do think it's a bit unclear when they're... when they You're just like, does she work in the shop? Or is she just hanging around it for yeah. an entire day? <laughs> I mean, obviously <laughs> you make the link, but... But it geez, doesn't... It, 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 it doesn't necessarily not... um, hold your hands quite the way you would expect it to. Mm. Like... There are, I think you can tell at times, you can see the cracks. You can see where they were straining against quite a small budget, quite a tight time frame to make this show. And mm. I think it does show sometimes, especially in just small things that we like where it would be as simple as, just stick an name badge on her. Yep. Just stick an yeah. A badge yeah. on her. Jobs are good. But, well, but they didn't uh, do how that. How do we know <laughs> that? How do we know she works? Yeah. So, I mean, and then in that montage, you get the the frankly bizarre horse play with Mickey, where they sat outside during her lunch break. Yeah. I mean... He, I, I he's think- not introduced as a character at this point. He's just some bloke. <laughs> just some she's bloke. sat with. Yeah, and she's sort of shoving and kicking in. Yeah, poor like, <laughs> soul. I, I guess... I mean, I suppose, I suppose it's meant to be affectionate, but... Um, I mean, I've. I mean, I've been we're in, friends. We've yeah. not done that. No, and likewise with my partner. You know, we've been together many years. I don't recall an occasion where where we sort of just sort of slapped each other about a bit. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah. It doesn't um, bode well. It, I mean, it definitely doesn't. I, I mean, I think that's that's a theme of this episode, really, that uh, their relationship maybe has some cracks in it. That there may be some uh I mean, without giving there. the game away, she doesn't notice when he's replaced by an alien. Yeah, that's troubling, you isn't know, it? How much attention does she pay yeah. her partner? Yeah. But, as part of the department story oh, yeah. scene, yeah. we're introduced to my favourite character from this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay? The character of Wilson. Oh, are, you R.I.P. R.I.P. With, are you familiar with Wilson? Yes, R.I.P. Unnamed Wilson. Unnamed in both IMDb and Wikipedia. Yes. My favourite character, because... Wilson, never seen on screen, but is an enigma to me. Yeah. Okay. So she's leaving the store at the end of the day, I believe. Mm -hmm. There's some money that must be passed on. Lottery money. Lottery money. Yeah. Okay. To be passed on to Wilson. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Then we have an irritating 20 to 30 seconds where she simply runs around shouting the word Wilson (laughs) over and over again. (laughs) Like a lost dog or something. Yeah. And eventually we are introduced to Wilson. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, here's something that I picked up on. I don't know if you're familiar with the scene. Yes. She goes to knock on what I assume is Wilson's office door. Yeah. There are two signs on that door. Mm-hmm. One of them reads, H.P. Wilson, C.E.O. Yes. Wilson is the chief executive officer for the department Ah, door. now there. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> because the other sign says, danger high voltage. <laughs> Okay, so either this is an office and God knows what he's up to, or his office is in the control room for the electricals of the stock. Yes. Now you see you've made an assumption there, haven't you? Which I, see, I assume was disproven when you when you googled it, um, that CEO does not necessarily stand for chief executive no, 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 officer. No, no. Because <laughs> as it turns out, later on we find he's the chief electrician. Yes. Don't know what the O stands for? Chief Electrical Officer. I'm factory. assuming. And by the time we've worked that out, we are bluntly told he's dead. Yes. Now, you see, that is something that I really do love about this episode. For a family show, uh, 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 oh, let's get the kids together kind of a show, goodness, there is a lot of death.
1: Yeah. Well, I, like, I just... We
0: start with a dead man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, just this, this, this person, our, our protagonist, our, um, our eyes and ears through this episode. One of her colleagues is dead, but straight off the bat, Wilson's dead. Wilson is dead now. I, I, I think there's a missed opportunity here. All right. Okay. Now, on both the IMDb and the Wikipedia article for this. Episode. Mm-hmm. There are seven named characters. Right. Okay. So uh, I can just go through those. There's the Doctor. Yep. Referred to as the Doctor. Yeah. Named Doctor. Incorrectly been referring to him as Doctor Who. There's Russell I mean, can I just say that is a can of worms? We could have a whole discussion about that. We could. This podcast could go for four hours just debating the merits of the Doctor versus Doctor, doctor Who. Um, for, for what it's worth. I actually prefer Doctor Who. I refer to him as Doctor Who quite a lot. The show's Doctor Who. He's yeah. Doctor Who. Yes, it's Doctor So fine. there's Doctor Get Who. Get over it, nerds. Get Rose over Tyler. It. Yeah. Jackie Tyler. Yes. Rose's mum. Mm-hmm. Mickey Smith. Yes. Clive. R.I.P. Clive. Uh, behind Wilson, probably my favourite character of the episode. Yes, I, I'm looking forward to the Clive discussion. I love Clive. Caroline. Who I believe is Clive's, Clive's wife. wife. Yeah, she's, she's pretty much the only character I can remember. Yeah, Mrs. And then Clive. there's Clive's son. Okay. Yeah. I think seven named characters. Okay. Somewhere out there, there will be a Hollywood celebrity, somebody who is a Doctor Who fanboy. Mhm. Okay. They should have just spunked the budget on having Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt Clay <laughs> Wilson, die straight away. <laughs> You know, the Brad Pitt in Deadpool 2. Yeah. Let's just show, oh look, it's Tom Cruise, dead. <laughs> okay. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. I mean, um, you will be surprised as the series goes on with some of the faces that turn up in fairly minor roles. I actually do think that is something, especially, I mean, who knows how long we're going to... I, I worry we're not going to make it past episode 4. Of right. this of this uh, podcast, but if we somehow do, if we cling on, if we, if I can somehow keep you enthused about this show up until definitely series five, there is one in particular, one cameo in particular. I'm thinking of you're thinking they got him in there in that episode for that. Is there it Mark is Benton playing the part of Clive? No, it's not. Because but he is cracking. When I he? saw him. I thought, oh my God, he's in everything. He's been he in every TV show. He's just one of those brilliant journeyman he's actors. He's better in this than in anything else I've seen him. And yeah. I thought when I, he appeared, oh my God, you know, low budget, he's in everything. <laughs> but actually, probably the best I I could, I've seen him. I couldn't imagine anyone else playing Clive. And I really love Clive as a character. I think, mm. I mean, Clive serves a very important plot function. For for this episode and for the series as a whole, in that he is he is basically the nod to the history of the character, mm. kind of letting the audience well. know that there is more to this man. Should shall, um, shall we save Clive? We can okay. save. Should we get I, to? We'll, we'll. I will. Get to I will wax rhapsodical about Clive for um, because obviously, as long as you care, once the hunt for Wilson is still ongoing. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. God, we're never going to get past this first scene, are we? We. We see the first, at this point, I've just written mannequin because it's not revealed right? what or who they are. And I've just written, not a chance anyone is that calm when mannequins walk towards them. <laughs> you know, constantly, I don't think it's Wilson, there's another character that she mentions and she's just, is yeah. this a prank? Yeah, is this Derek, I believe. Okay, So, yeah. so for example, last summer, myself and my partner, we went to a haunted house. In Scarborough it's called Terror Tower I'd recommend it to anyone where there are scenes from Hollywood movies that are effectively reenacted around you it is absolutely terrifying Mm -hmm. okay I'm 33 years old I'm quite a big bloke I nearly cry I've been there twice (laughs) one the first time I went with all my friends lads 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 it has gone down in folklore in my social circle as the time I cried at Terra Tower. <laughs> the second time I took my partner, told the story, we reenacted the day we went to Terra Tower. Mm-hmm. I used her as a human shield. <laughs> so if mannequins walk towards you, you are not that calm. It is not a prank. Yeah. I I I I agree. I would not have been. I would have not have held it together the way Rose has. Um, I think we can conclude one of two things about Rose in that scene. One is that she is just astonishingly calm under pressure, or two that she is a little bit simple, or three she's a poorly written character. One of those <laughs> two conclusions, I think, is the I, only <laughs> realistic option. In that, um, <laughs> in that <laughs> particular scene. Because, obviously, the mannequins head towards us. This is when Doctor Who appears. Mm-hmm. First time we see him. Okay? okay. Now, the scene unfolds, mannequins coming towards them. At one point, we see a mannequin karate chop through a thick steel steam pipe. It might be right. hot water. Yes. He chops it in half, steam yeah. pours out. Yeah. These mannequins are quite clearly... Physically strong. Yes. Until three seconds later in the scene, when Doctor Who just pulls his arm off. Right. Like, yeah. Let's just talk about logistics of mechanics. There must be some secure mechanism in order to create the force to smash a steam pipe in half, which is instantly dismantled by Doctor Who. I fear if you are struggling with... Um, with scenes like that, where where it's just a case that the Auton chops a pipe in half, and then later on an alien manages to wrench his arm off, if if that is challenging your yeah. suspension of disbelief, all this is going to be a slog. <laughs> yeah. This is... Perhaps. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I almost... I, it's difficult for me because I am so steeped in this world... I am so willing to accept so many patently <laughs> ridiculous things for the love of Doctor Who that it's, it, ah. it, it pains me to suddenly pull back and be like... I mean, because the thing is, you're not wrong. Because you're let, not wrong. Say, he, he, he's, pulled, <laughs> he's pulled the arm from the mannequin. So we can assume he has a greater level of strength than the mannequin. Yeah. Fast forward a couple of scenes. He's in Rose's living room. And he can't pull the arm, let alone this single mannequin from, I think it's his face. It could be yes, roses. Yeah. So, I mean, how, to be fair, how there... strong is this mannequin? Because it fluctuates. I mean, you could make the argument that, of course, that it, that it is being controlled uh, through the Nestian consciousness, and perhaps that gives it a, a inconsistent level of power. It is just plastic that is being animated. And by some unseen force, and if that force was to um, wane and um, perhaps it, you know it can be focused, concentrated in one area, but then maybe spread out depending on how much plastic is being controlled by the nesting consciousness at one time. That d- does that satisfy you as an explanation? This one suppose. that I ha- that I definitely haven't just pulled out of my ass just yeah. now. <laughs> Speaking of satisfaction, now. <laughs> in the scene where he pulls the mannequin arm, yeah. restrains it. Yeah. is probably where i was most all in for this episode. Right. Okay. If you say right now, uh-huh. if there was a mannequin arm on my face, you wrestle it, yeah, throw it against the wall, whatever, i'm free. Yeah. What do you say? You see i'm not a witty man. See, so, I this I, 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 this is where I bought <laughs> in when Doctor Who yeah. simply looks, I think he might even look straight at camera, yeah. and says, armless. Yeah, I remember that now, yes. It's ten out of ten. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it, it is not the only pun you will experience of that, of that quality uh, as the series progresses. So, so, if we can keep you on board <laughs> through puns alone... Just, just the puns. Yeah. Then, I mean... <sighs> But again, this is the thing. I Okay, maybe this is the wrong time to discuss this, but this is something I wanted to get home, off my chest for a while in any context. So I have a theory when it comes to Doctor Who, why I love it as much as I do. Because I love it a frankly irrational amount, right? I Because I know that you're bombarding me with yeah. all of these... I, I mean, some would say nitpicks. They're pretty sizable nits. <laughs> like... <laughs> These are legitimate criticisms. I, you're not going to get any disagreement from me there. But I just don't care. I don't care about any of it. And, 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 and because I have this overriding love of it. And I think for me, it comes down to the fact that Doctor Who does something better than no other show does. And that is balancing what I would consider the, the sort of the four key flavour groups of story. So you've got funny, you've got exciting you've got creepy, you've got sad. Those, to me, are... are, If you want to tell a story, you're going to be wanting to touch on at least one or two of those things. But Doctor Who, most episodes, is aiming to hit all four of those. It's going to have ridiculous comedy in it. It's going to have moments that, at least in theory, on paper, should be exciting. It's going to have moments of genuine heartache and sadness thrown in the mix there and and above all it's just trying to scare the shit out of little kids and you've got to respect it for that I'm going to come back to one of the things you've said there but we've sort of jumped between two scenes whilst we've been talking there yeah and of course when he's seen the karate chop arm yeah throws it Rose is running away we see the TARDIS for the first time oh yes yeah we can't can't okay so that's one of the cultural points it's definitely, I knew. Yes, it's one of the iconic aspects. I think most people, if you say Doctor Who to them, and in in Britain, they will know. They will maybe be. They'll probably picture either Tom Baker or maybe David Tennant. Hmm. That's more of a generational thing, but probably one of those two. They will probably picture a Dalek and the TARDIS. Yeah. Maybe at a push, the sonic screwdriver.
1: Mm-hmm. that's
0: about it, I would say, as far as the truly iconic aspects of the show go. So yeah, that I love that first shot of the TARDIS, where it's just tucked away, tucked away in the I, background. I, 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 je- yeah. I know I've ripped on this episode. Yeah, I thought that bit was well done. It's a lovely it was, bit of direction, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. subtle, mm-hmm. but at the same time, obvious. and, yeah. and, and, and It the... was the bit where I was able to, as an outsider, mm-hmm. go... Oh yeah. yeah, I see where well. and, it, and it's and it's a unique thing in that, like for, for someone for young kids watching Doctor Who for the first time, they may not even register it, they may not pick it up immediately, but it's there. If if you know it, then they're underplaying it in in a, in a way that I think is really charming and and in a way that only a show in this unique position of like getting a chance to reinvent itself after thirty like three decades worth of history and baggage
1: mm.
0: having an opportunity to just have a clean break or cleanish break and, and kind of just subtly nod back to the past keep what worked maybe you know sidestep what what we need to move on from in order to get it to work in the in, in the present day um and yeah i i love the way they underplay that mm. and um We'll get to it later, but uh, yeah, there's, that was there's the other stuff in the Tardis that well really, done. I, I really so, love the use of the Tardis around in this episode. Really, so I, w- yeah. I want to go back to what you were saying about comedy. Now, yeah. the, this might be sort of my preconceived ideas, right? Leaking in a little bit here, okay? Because my my interpretation was slightly incorrect right. when I watched this, because obviously I know Doctor Who is played by Christopher Eccleston. Yes. Now my understanding prior to this, with no previous knowledge, was, obviously, I know Christopher Eccleston from some of his other roles. Mm-hmm. I thought he'd be slightly action hero, which isn't necessarily true. He, he's not all guns blazing, tough guy. No, definitely not, even though he's rocking the leather jackets. A- absolutely. Yeah. But because of that preconceived notion of what my expectation of the mm. character was, I think some of the humour missed with me right okay and I've made a note of one scene where I can understand how some people would think it was funny right but when it's a large muscular bloke in a leather jacket speaking to a young girl youngish girl Mm -hmm. okay I think he actually came off as quite a dick oh yeah okay so for example uh, I've written it down so Rose says to him you can't just go swanning off his response: Yes, I can. This is me swanning off. Yeah. Okay. That's how, like, my 4 year old nephew—sorry, my five-year-old <laughs> nephew—speaks to me in a song. <laughs> okay. Rose then says that arm nearly killed me. He says, "Well observed." Mhm. She then says, "You have to tell me what's going on." He simply says, "No, I don't." I mean, that's true. He doesn't. Um, I think the but thing I, is... I, I yeah. think other people would have found that funnier than I did. I, I found it actually... Why has he being so stubborn? We well, see, awkward? I don't think those moments in particular are necessarily meant to be him being particularly funny. I think you're meant to find that frustrating. Because you've got to remember, Rose is our point of view for this whole episode. We are very firmly placed in... Our the episode is called Rose... Mm. We are experiencing this, uh, uh, this, this, this alien from her perspective, and all this madness surrounding it. And so, I think we're meant to be frustrated with him in that moment. Uh, and the the Doctor is a really, really complex character because because he is a bundle of contradictions, right? Mm. As you would expect from any character that has been portrayed in every conceivable form of media for you know five and a half decades at this point an absolute bundle of contradictions but um he is not a as a result he's not a simple hero he is not always good he is not always right he is not always as funny as or as clever as he thinks he is um And in this particular moment, and this particular incarnation of the Doctor, yeah, he can be a bit of a dick. Mm. I think they all can, to some extent. Because, for one, he is an egotistical character. Because, generally speaking, he knows he is the smartest guy in the room. And that can give him a bit of an attitude of just... Especially, I think, early on in in this series with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor... I don't know if in this episode, because I don't want to speak out of terms, but I'm pretty sure he refers to humans as apes. I think he does. Yeah. And towards the end, he also makes reference to how how primitive we are as a species yeah. still. Uh, so that you've you got you got to bear in mind that whilst we are meant to be the, the thing we've got to, do it's called Doctor Who, right? It's about we are meant to be intrigued by the Doctor. We don't necessarily need to love him. Mm. And so yeah, I agree with you. He is an absolute dick to Rose a lot of the time. I actually think I'm I sorry, I I, I you you have got your very methodic chronological <laughs> notes, and I'm just gonna skip ahead all over the place and uh, and ignore them. But there is a um, sense in which at the end even at the end of the episode when he's inviting her aboard the TARDIS, he's being an absolute dick there. Mm, absolutely. He's not taking no for an answer. And he's... all he, Like, he is aware. Rose makes a fairly, a fairly valid point that, like, you know, she's got stuff here on Earth. She's got people that she needs to look after. And he's kind of saying, don't worry about that. Yeah. Just come along and have a laugh. I, I can say that. So, it's... um. Yeah, I I I I think something. It's interesting that you thought he was going to be like just an all guns blazing action hero, because I think, yeah, as the series goes on, you're going to be quite surprised by him as a character if that was your expectations mm. going in, because uh, there's, there I think there is a lot more to him, and and he is certainly not a um, shoot first ask questions later type of hero. So um, yeah. <coughs> As part of the same conversation, later on, he says, and I've written the quote, they want to overthrow the human race and destroy you. Okay? Mm. I'm new to the series. I I inquired why. Okay? Okay. So, um, you find out that the proteins of their planet were destroyed in the war. Yes. Okay? I search for the war. Oh, I wish you hadn't done that. Okay. <laughs> so, time Lords versus the Daleks. Yes. It, it seems to be this took place after the film, I'd seen. Yes. Right thinking, the, but prior to this scene. Yes. Yeah, the Time War. Um. Yeah. Takes place. Well, so far, when we go into this episode, it has taken place off screen. Yes. There yes. has been no. Um. This is the first episode that references the Time War. This is an a, a creation of Russell T. Davis the new showrunner of Doctor Who. This is one of his biggest contributions to the series of so, its life. So is that acknowledged in other media prior to this, or no. is this the episode that launches the this idea? Is, this is the first episode where we get any reference to the Time War, and it's not even called the Time War in this episode. It's just uh, the, the war. The war. Um, and it's, yeah, keep an eye out as the series goes on. So, in amongst that one... Yeah. Uh, I skim read the Wikipedia, okay? <laughs> To the point where, obviously, by this point, I think maybe in the episode, perhaps through yeah. my own Googling, yeah. we find out that the mannequins are part of what's called the Nesting Consciousness? Yes, yes, okay. the Nesting Consciousness. So, nice and simple, on the Wikipedia article for the Time War, okay. Okay. I searched for Nesting, yeah. Consciousness, and Auton, because yeah. they're referenced as the Auton. Yes. They are not referenced at all. Okay? Which says to me that the death of their planet... Mm -hmm. They're essentially innocent bystanders in this war. Yeah. They've come to Earth as refugees. They ain't the bad guys. They're not looking to overthrow us. They just need some protein for their own survival. But the thing is, the tactics they are employing does involve the death of all the humans. They are taking over the plastic... The reason they're taking over the plastic bodies and, and, and creating autons... Is so is, is explicitly so they can kill all the humans and occupy the planet in their stead. I uh, I just think has anyone tried talking to them? <laughs> well, that's they exactly doctor, what the Johnson does! He does and you know That's he's exactly him. his plan. But is he, he had the right to man tra- for the job we've established? He's a dick. But the thing is, <laughs> he's the only one capable of doing it. No human would even be able to figure this stuff out. They don't have the background knowledge to even have a conception of what the nesting consciousness is, let alone have an ability to communicate with it. It Just would be like... Off, you've, off the top of my you've head... You've seen rival, right? Yeah. Look at how much effort it was to talk to those... Off, off the top of my head, the two names I thought the human race put forward to charm the nesting consciousness, mm-hmm. Philip Schofield, Michael Bublé, they would charm the nesting consciousness. I think you may be onto something there, but they would, of course, need the uh, TARDIS translation uh, matrix in order to do that, and that is something which humanity has not yet perfected. And therein lies the issue. Yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Philip Schofield should stick to his <laughs> So maybe, maybe if the Doctor had, had the presence of mind to pick up Philip Schofield instead of uh, Rose, as his companion for the for the episode. And
1: Ideally, the entire <laughs> series,
0: then, then maybe it could have played out very differently. We could have had some kind of amicable arrangement. Oh. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, he picked <laughs> Billy Piper. Sorry. And we're having to make the best <laughs> of a bad job. So, the, the next scene from that... Right. ...is where I thought I'd won my own personal time war. Right. I thought I'd outsmarted the Doctor <laughs> Who community. Okay? So, Rose goes to her boyfriend Mickey's house. Right. Okay, she I don't know if in here she uses a massive old computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that yeah. thing is uh I think it's, it's XP, yeah Okay. Um at the time she searches for searchwise dot com. And off brand <laughs> an off brand Google. I knew okay. this was coming up. Now Immediately, <laughs> y- you can assume this hooked me in. Okay, so I got my laptop out. Yeah. Typed in, searchwise. Sorry, search uh, com. Yeah. Typed it in, yeah. in, and immediately this website could not be found. I had yes. won the great war. Mm-hmm. Upon second viewing, yeah, I realised it was searchwise.net. Okay. Yeah, they couldn't afford the dot. Have you ever visited SearchWise.net? You know what, in all these years I don't think I have. What do you believe SearchWise.net is? It, it's a genuine website. It's a. I'm I promise kidding. you, it's a genuine website. It can't be a genuine search engine, surely it's not. It's not a search engine. Is it not? It is a Doctor Who wiki page. Is it really? A full <laughs> Doctor Who... Community-run oh, wiki page that warms my cockles, and, and actually, I'm quite happy to concede <laughs> feedback Well played, well played. I, I, I accept the feedback <laughs> That was when I thought I'd won my own time war <laughs> and hadn't. Yeah. Okay. Oh, now, from that, she—I was going to say she Google's, but she Searchwise.net's. Yeah. And she's put in touch with Clive. Yes. Who is the tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist? Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Now this part again it seems to have linked into my main hobby of googling mm-hmm. to try and turn this apart. Now yes. this part again genuinely warmed my heart. Yes. Okay. Because I, I, again, I don't know how much you've looked into this scene. I I, I don't think I have particularly like. Okay, gone under because it with a fine tooth the, no. the appearance of Doctor Who. Yes. Okay. The photograph they're shown is he's present at the Kennedy assassination. Ah, right. Okay. You know what? I have a thing feeling I know where this is going. I've not. Do you know it, the date of the Kennedy assassination? Yes, it's the twenty third, twenty second. Twenty second. That's it. Yes. November. And the first broadcast first episode yes, of yes, Doctor Who. Yes. Was broadcast the they day after. Yes. William Hartnell, the first Doctor. Yes. I've written that. Well done. Yes. So, um, I, I actually thought that's quite clever. Yeah. If okay. they were going to pin him in time, why not pin him at the most relevant? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never. That's the thing, because I, I, I'm aware of it, and, and I, I've often wondered when I've watched it is that. A conscious reference, or is it? There's no way to know for sure. I don't. I don't think. Certainly, I'm not aware of any interview where Russell T. Davis has has specifically said, "Oh yeah, we picked the JFK assassination versus say I don't know. They could have done any historical moon landing, moon landing, or um, the uh, sinking of the Titanic." anything like that, but but they specifically went for the JFK's assassination, and you you can't help but think that that's the reason why it was a a sort of little nod and a wink to... So that leads into my next question. Yeah. Okay. So, Christopher Eccleston, Doctor Who. Yes. Present the day before William Hartnell's Doctor Who. Uh, So, mm. Well. is, is this current series Doctor Who effectively retconning original series Doctor Who or as I'm aware he can travel in time yes. so had all the original Doctor Who happened and then current Doctor Who went back prior to original series Doctor Who okay so um, lots to unpack there yeah. um, for one I don't know that we can assume that the events of An Unearthly Child the first episode of um, Doctor Who we can't necessarily assume that that was intended to take place on the day it was broadcast.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So whilst William Hartnell, the first Doctor, would have been present like, like sort of in that episode, we don't necessarily know that it, it, it was certainly meant to be... It certainly begins in a contemporary-ish setting, mm-hmm. but I don't think anybody ever specifies the date um, that it takes with, place. Without getting into the yeah. grand laws of time travel uh-huh. and what have you. Within the series, is it acknowledged that the first Doctor is in fact the first Doctor? Does uh, uh, my, my <laughs> limited knowledge obviously there's or, some, or were there Doctors some, prior to William Hartnell? Is that could, could it be that in some sort of twisted, you know, I am my own father type mm-hmm. story that William Hartnell Doctor Who is actually a later version of Christopher Eccleston's Doctor Who? I almost don't want to answer this question. Uh, will that be revealed <laughs> in time? If I the, were to watch series, all Doctor Who, if would, you watch, I, if you watch, would that question be answered? I don't want the answer to the question, mm-hmm. but is that question answered? I think it will be, yes. I think right. as you watch the new series, you will, you will see hints here and there to the show's history... And you will get perhaps a better sense of the chronological order of the doctors. What I will say is that right from the first episode, and I think you can tell with this first episode, that Russell T Davies was very conscious not to throw out any preceding continuity. Right. He doesn't necessarily throw it in your face in the way that actually that that was one of the big mistakes of the McGann movie, is that if you were to go back and watch it... you'd. It's referencing a bunch of stuff that's already happened and it and already that's kind of closing mm-hmm. doors for a lot of people whereas this this episode it starts fresh, but it doesn't necessarily ignore everything that's gone before like there is that scene I don't even remember um early on when he when he uh when the doctor enters. Uh, Jackie Tyler's uh, flat and catches a glimpse of himself in the mirror and, he, and he's like he jokes yeah. about his ears yes okay. yeah exactly uh, suggesting that this is maybe the first time he's actually seen his own reflection yes in this particular yeah. incarnation so, uh, suggesting therefore that maybe there have been some incarnations yeah. that have come prior so does that, does that answer your question to, to your satisfaction without I think going so. into spoiler uh, territory I think in time perhaps yeah. we might come back to this I think we almost certainly will um, but yeah, of course he can travel in time, um, and just because just because the doctor is in one place on earth in uh, on the twenty second of November 1963 doesn't necessarily mean he could also be somewhere else. Ex- yeah, yeah, okay, so, so whilst this is happening, whilst they're in Clive's house discussing the Kennedy assassination, yes, Mickey, oh Mickey, is outside? Poor Mickey. In his horrendous car, to be quite honest. I'm not an expert, but his car is awful. One does have to ask questions about how he ended up with a car like that. And felt comfortable driving it in in public places. And And from the car, he notices... Perhaps, maybe the only reference in pop culture of... An evil wheelie bin. <laughs> yeah, I've seen films with evil tires, evil yeah. cars, yeah, this, that, and the other. An evil wheelie bin. In fact, this, mm. this. When I saw this, I had a childhood flashback. Right. Because I think, and I will look into this. Yeah. As a child, from the child's cartoon series, the real Ghostbusters. Uh Based on the Bill Murray movie. Yes. I think there was a toy that was possibly a wheelie bin. And you press the button and eyes pop out. And there's a tongue inside the wheelie Um. bin. So my mission is to find that. God, I wish you every... At the same time, I also think rather than a wheelie bin, I may be thinking of a toilet. I think there is a Ah. toilet. Well, my first question would be, do they have wheelie bins in America? I'm not sure that they do. When I think of American they have big bins. Big wheelie bins. They have the do best they? wheelie bins. Because you I, ask President Trump. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always. Because when I think of like. Uh, bins in American films and television. It's a trash it's can. It's always. It is. It's the classic trash can. It's mm. metal. It's got one of those clanky lids. Um, I don't know that they've embraced wheelie bin technology. In technology the way Britain has. Yeah. With. We are we are trendsetters. We are ahead of the curve, of the times. America. Yeah, but so. yes, yeah. The, the wheelie bin. I I have thoughts about the wheelie bin. I will be honest. Okay, I will take you back to the first time I watched this episode because I watched this episode on broadcast in the same way that my my um, my mum, my brother, and I had gathered together on the sofa for the Paul McGann movie. We did exactly the same for this first uh, Christopher Eccleston episode. I, I mean, I was. Um, Eighteen, certainly, certainly around that. Um, I was, I was a grown man, more or less. Two thousand and five. Yeah, sounds about 18, 19, maybe even. Oh. Um, and I recall, I, I'd been quite into the episode up until that point. I was like, you know, I'm ready for this. I'm, I'm happy to go along with this. I could get used to this. Was and that then, until the wheelie? And, and then the wheelie <laughs> bin happened. So. <laughs> We're referencing the wheelie bin. <laughs> Essentially, Mickey sat in the car. Yeah, he notices the wheelie bin. I, I don't know whether at first it's rustling or moving towards him. It certainly right. leads to the bin yes. moving towards the car. Yeah, he's inquisitive
1: mm-hmm.
0: and approaches with caution. Now, yes. I can't remember for definite. He might attempt to open the wheelie bin. He certainly places his hands on the wheelie bin. He does, at which they are melded into the wheelie bin. That is what we are supposed to believe. It's it's when he pulls the the suspension of disbelief is maybe somewhat challenged by the uh, quality of the uh, the the CGI. (laughs) In in my notes, I've just written "scary wheelie bin," even scarier CGI. (laughs) Now, me and a couple of My closest friends, we have a joke about CGI that when it's bad, it looks like the artwork for a computer graphics card. If you ever go into PC World, somewhere Uh like that, and look at just components for computers, they have the most mental shit artwork (laughs) on the box. This was graphics card artwork artwork CGI. Yes, I I could could, uh, believe that, yeah. Okay, now... As a result of this, he is consumed by the wheelie bin, I think. One can only do, assume. Do we at some point see him in the bin, legs sticking out, chuckle vision style? I don't know that it quite goes like that, but, but we definitely do see uh, him. Uh, he sort of somehow, through some f- feat of dexterity that would be far beyond any wheelie bin, animated or otherwise, a he sort of is flipped into the bin. <laughs> Yeah. Um, consumed by it, and then, and this was the moment, right? That I could almost accept the wheelie bin scene. Yeah. Were it not for the burp. Y- yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. I, now, I have not written that down. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the burp to me Bloody is hell. Is the ch- is the unnecessary cherry on top in an already credulity stretching scene. Now you. This is why I'm saying you. You know. You were scratching your head at the comparative power ratios of the Autons in those first couple of scenes. Yeah. If the... you're struggling with that, how on earth are you going to cope with something like the wheelie Just... bin? <laughs> I, I don't know whether I thought it wasn't worth making, <laughs> or whether you know I entered some sort of fugue state to block that out, possibly. But, but mate, for me, the wheelie bin is. Because that is lowest yeah. brow humour. It, that it is. is fart joke humour. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I sorry. I want. I'm just leaving a pause there because um, I know some stuff that's coming up later in this series. Correct. Um, Hopefully, oh. some high brow comedy for us all. Oh yes, yeah. Episodes <laughs> four and five. We are going to have a way of time before they pick up. Well. Okay, so continue by the wheelie bin. Yeah, Mickey then is consumed by the nesting consciousness. becomes an auto. Yes. I, I, again, I don't know the correct terminology. I've just simply written he becomes an auto. Yes, I'd say that's fair. How her. does Rose not realize that? Again, really- gets in the car. He is. He basically, looks like he's made of finest mahogany. Mm-hmm. His skin is varnished. Glistening, Yeah, yeah. And he's pulling the biggest shit-eating grin. You know, in my notes, I've put... He resembles Robbie Rotten, the villain from Charles' TV (laughs) programme, Lazy Town. He's... You know... And up until this point, I thought the guy playing Mickey was doing a good job. Yes. You know, he was... The troubled boyfriend, you know, understandably has feelings for this girl, mm. and is effectively just putting up with her mental quest yeah. to do, for the doctor, yeah, based on his love for her. Yeah. At this point, that sort of fades. Now, understandably, he's playing a fake yes. character, yeah, but it didn't sit comfortably yeah no it's it is a let's just call (laughs) us bad bad. it's a terrible performance yeah it is it is so over the top it is so it it, it beggars belief that anyone would not immediately say what on earth are you doing what has happened to you why do you look like that why are you just sitting there going pizza yeah pizza that is not a normal thing to do um what I would say, again, you see, this scene, this whole scene with the weenie bin and Plastic Mickey, is uh, a classic example of this this first series not quite knowing what tone to strike, Mm. what level to pitch the show at. And I think this director struggles at times... Sometimes, he really nails some of the big emotional moments and, yeah. and the I humor as well. Yep. But there are also times where, as you say, ChuckleVision it is CBBC level. No. Just yeah, pandering. Let's not say ChuckleVision because yeah. I, I mean, well, there's a big good fan. I'm a big fan of ChuckleVision. Yeah. There, are, they had some cracking episodes. You give me the choice, Doctor Who or ChuckleVision. <laughs> <pandering>. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna like the answer. <laughs> okay, so from Mickey being consumed by a wheelie bin. Yes. And becoming Metal Mickey. Yeah. Not metal, sorry. Plastic, plastic Mickey. Plastic Mickey. Metal Mickey was uh, a... Some kind of robot. Yes, I believe I think so. Right, so they then go for an evening meal. This yes. is the pizza scene. Yes. At which point someone interrupts the conversation. We let it see it's Doctor Who, mm-hmm. who offers them champagne and shoots the cork at Plastic Mickey. Yes, I think this scene was slightly more graphic than it needed to be. Interesting. He was shot in the head with a champagne cork. My initial response was either this is going down the bad comedy route, mm-hmm. or it would stun him. Something else is coming. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying you see the cork enter his. Oh, it does. Plastic it's... shell of a head. Yes, it sort of goes. You get a sort of blorp noise. And yeah. it sort of sinks in, like, as though the plastic has taken almost liquid form. It it, it it sinks inside his head, and then there is a very prolonged, but slightly over-the-top moment where you see him sort of rolling it around in his mouth, yeah. and eventually out pops the cork. Yeah. So we yeah. inevitably got back to the bad comedy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. I, I thought that was quite graphic, perhaps? Oh, definitely. Um... There, yeah, and again, this is the thing where, like, Doctor Who, part of its raison d'etre is to freak out kids. Mm. It's definitely designed to, it is basically, it's a horror for, for young kids at times. Um, and, and one of the things I think makes it work is the fact that you have this reassuring presence, this notion that I, at the end of the episode, it doesn't matter how scary it gets, the Doctor will sort it out. Yeah. You've got that sort of company presence of that hand to hold, and that allows uh, the and writers very, and directors and to really push the boundaries. at times. Very nearly said that. Yeah, he's always in the right place at the right time. Mm. That is literally his job. He pretty much <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, that is, other than just being a man. Yeah, although he's not a man. No. he's an alien. Whatever. Yeah, that is pretty much all he has going for him. Time yeah. and space. He um, can go anywhere. Do anything, and wherever he goes, he seems to, for whatever reason, stumble into some slightly sticky situations. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, yeah, that's that that I, that is kind of what it comes down to: um, being in the right place at the right time, or the or the wrong place at the wrong time, depending on your perspective. Um, but yeah, I, 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 but that's something that I have always appreciated about the show. Is I, I mean, my first one of my earliest Doctor Who memories is having the absolute shit scared out of me by the original Autons. I mean, we'll maybe get on to this, but but one of my first um, experiences was watching... I honestly cannot remember if it was Spearhead from Space or Terror of the Autons, one of the two original um, uh, Pertwee-era 1970s uh, Auton stories. Um, because there were only those two in the whole of the, mm-hmm. the classic run. Um, but they are a great, simple villain. I think just the the shop window dummy come to life, and especially when they just flip down the hand and this little stunted <laughs> gun emerges. So I, I was actually going to talk. About oh, we're going when to talk reach about that. Yeah. The climactic scene. Now. Yes. Yeah. Let Let's just talk about the handguns. Okay. Yes. Or the gun hands. Gun hands. Let's not confuse ourselves. The nesting consciousness controls plastic. Yes. it controls mannequins, wheelie bins yes I'm not actually certainly saying it control anything outside those no it, there are references in the episode to other things that it could theoretically control right interesting there it's one of those blinking use moments but but rose uh, the doctor's listing off I can't remember various plastic things because you know the world is full of yeah. plastic and uh, then Rose almost offhandedly mentions breast implants yes <laughs> correct <laughs> Which, I mean, that would have been a very interesting... (laughs) If if it can control the plastic... Yes. How do the guns get into the hands? If it controls the plastic, has it controlled plastic to replace people, and these people build a munitions factory? Like... How does it get in? Okay, there? I understand. I understand the question. It is a fair question. It deserves an honest answer. Yeah. That answer is I don't know. In the, I seem to recall, and it has been a while since I've seen Spearhead from Space, which was the original Auton story with the mm-hmm. the Orton's nesting consciousness. I seem to recall in that that there were humans working with the. Um, there was also the Master involved, but let's not get sidetracked so by that. Uh-huh. Oh, actually, no, he was in. Um, I'm getting terribly confused. No, Master was in Terror of the Autons. Anyway, so the first war-time story, Spearhead from Space. I'm pretty sure humans, who specifically worked in a plastics factory, making mannequins, were kind of working in league with the nesting consciousness, and I believe they were basically manufacturing these, um, these plastic mannequins with guns built in that the nesting consciousness could then control right. and used to take over the world that is not established no in this episode going um, in cold there's yeah. no exposition there's just like there's just there are guns. these mannequins and yeah i guess they've got guns yeah deal with it yeah deal with it and i think this is just a, a this is a key lesson that sometimes in doctor who you just have to go with it it's like you have to just take the path of least resistance Otherwise, you will have a horrible <laughs> time yeah. watching this show. So, that, that's that's going on, and yeah. we're sort of reaching the climax of the episode. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Doctor Who takes Mickey's head. Yes. Uses it to find the transmission. Yes. Okay. Melts uh, his head in the process. Yeah, again... Uh, poor plastic Mickey. Yeah, but again, that was sort of graphic. Oh, yes. Do, uh, you you some see of head deflame. You, imagine you're a five-year-old watching that. Yeah. Most upsetting. Well, throughout all this, whilst the uprising of the uh, Autons is happening. Yes. Okay. Rather than the adults scaring children in the audience, how about the children Autons scaring the adults? (laughs) They are, I don't know why, far scarier than the adults. Oh, they are super creepy, aren't they? Yeah. That, again, was just one of the things where I thought... This is... You know, if I was a child watching this, I'd be... haunted. (laughs) Quite Yes. And that, to me, is a sign that it's doing its job properly. Yeah. So, long story short, this is going on. Doctor Who and Rose head to the transmitter. We find out it's the London Eye. Yes. They head underneath, where they find real Mickey. Mm -hmm. Replaced... Sorry, that was replaced by Plastic Mickey. Yes, He's still alive. Yes, we get some sort of hand-waving. Oh, they needed to keep him alive in order to maintain an accurate copy. I mean, (laughs) accurate seems an overstatement. Where (laughs) I thought this plot point was going is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the first episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Okay, so uh, I don't know the character's name, but when Buffy first goes to school, she meets Xander. Yes. She meets Willow. Yeah. She meets Giles. Yeah. And there is, like, a fifth friend. Ah, yeah, there is, isn't there? I can't remember. Um, I want to say Dara, but I don't think it is. Yeah. Who, in the very first episode, is turned into a vampire, and I believe killed. Yes. And I don't think it's mentioned again. No, and it's... their purpose there is just to set up the stakes. Yeah, there are vampires. Yes. people die. Yeah, that's where I thought this was going with Mickey. Yeah, so it's nice to know he's okay. Yes, I I think actually, um, Clive is the yes. is the yeah. darer of this episode. Yeah, yeah like yeah. In, in that someone you could quite conceivably imagine a, a, a character like Clive popping up every now and then throughout the series, at least that first series. You know, um piecing together more and more of the puzzle, starting to get closer to the truth of who the Doctor is, something like that. That could very easily be an ongoing series arc. Yeah. But, you know, you get to that scene in the shopping centre, which, for what it's worth as well, is the most conscious uh, reference to the classic series in this episode, in that um, the the most iconic shot in the original Auton story is a scene that takes place on an ordinary... British High Street, and you just see these man- mannequins crashing through windows, just gunning down innocent civilians, and it's utterly horrifying. It is just chaos mm. and murder and mayhem, and and the Doctor isn't there to do anything about exactly. it. In just the same way that and, and and Clive is our is our real human victim that mm. we we see, and we're like, because it's hard. And he, Everybody loves Clive. You can't not love Clive yeah, after it, those couple of scenes. You get especially with him. when yeah. it, it gets a bit Austin Powers. You see yeah. his wife. You see his child. Exactly. You know, yeah. there's a fatherless child out there. No? Yes. Um, and so, so along with uh, you know, along with Wilson, like this is this is something you, 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 that I think sets um, Doctor Who apart from a lot of family viewing in that punches are not pulled when it comes to death you won't see like gore and splatter all over the screen when somebody dies but people really do die and they do not come back especially in the the Russell T Davis years the the man loves a bit of death in his family viewing Mm. he really does (laughs) and um so yeah I think it's quite effective on that level um but yeah, I can see how you could come away with the fe- feeling, uh, as you're watching the episode the first time, that Mickey is maybe uh, not long for this world. I thought he was the sacrificial yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So, they find Mickey. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. is the first time we see the Nestine consciousness. Yes. It looks very different from the last time we saw it, uh, it some 40 years prior. It looks like the Great Mighty Pooh mm. from Conker's Bad Fur Day. It I don't think I'm familiar with with uh, the, the Conquer oeuvre. It's just a big poo. Right. <laughs> Fair dues. It, so, we see it. Yes. The Autons are attempting to kill Doctor Who. Yes, because he's getting in their way. Yeah. And I, I think, do they do they discover the vial of anti-plastic? Of anti-plastic. Do we need to have a discussion about anti-plastic? Can we just move on? It, it's just the deus s maquilera <laughs> of the episode, isn't it? Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's anti-plastic. If Except if it. this happened in <laughs> London. If this happened in Yorkshire, where we're from, then there'd just be a tire fire and we'd just <laughs> throw the plastics <laughs> on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this happens, and we get the speech from Rose. I have no A levels. I'm mm-hmm. good at nothing. Yeah. I'm going to save the world. Yes. Okay. She uses her, I think, a bronze Bronze medal in in gymnastics gymnastics, to swing on the rope. Yeah. Okay. And she knocks into the Autons, frees Doctor Who. One of the Autons spills the anti-plastic conveniently right in the one place you don't want to spill it. Yes. Okay. Which, I can't remember if it kills the nesting consciousness outright straight away or if there's a struggle i think it pretty much just melts it i think he just fries yeah. its brain or whatever it's it's done after this and yeah. you know scene yeah. yeah. effectively yeah okay yeah. world saved good job doctor didn't quite pan out the way <laughs> he was hoping because I, I mean we, i don't think we should gloss over the fact the, as he says, that anti-plastic was insurance. His plan was not to rock up and and yes, murder the nesting yep. consciousness. Credit where it's due, he was looking he was, for peace talks. He, exactly. Again, I, I don't know the terms, but it, there seems to be some galactic law. That the he's, Shadow Proclamation. There we go. Yes. Okay. Might um, be one for your notes. I'll keep an eye on <laughs> And then from this, we have the end scene where Rose agrees to travel with the Doctor. Yes. Okay. Up until this point,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was fully—well, I say fully—I was mostly on board. Okay. The episode, despite yeah. my criticism. I'm amazed that you got this far okay. without wanting to bail. It was at this point that all my preconceived notions of Doctor Who came to the fore. Right. Everything I ever thought Doctor Who was came to light. <laughs> right. Okay. And I officially clock out. Okay. okay. The preview of the next episode. Oh, man, you didn't... Why did you watch it? Okay. <laughs> next time on Doctor Who. Yeah. Okay, I think the episode's called The End of the World. It is, yes. Okay. And we are introduced to an audience that are spectating The End of the World, I believe, yeah. from what I listened. Listener, I have... I am burying my head <laughs> in my in my arms right so now. So, We're introduced from the All forest right. of cheam. Trees. Tree people. Yeah. Not trees as we know them, tree people. Yeah. Okay, so I'm assuming trees evolve into people in the year uh, five billion hours. Come on. And... You've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, you like a bit of groot. Well, uh, I was thinking Red Dwarf and Cat. Oh yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a bit of a mashup of the two, really. Then we have uh, I might not pronounce this correctly. The Mox Balgul? Oh, the Mox of Balhoon, I believe. Okay, there we go. I could be wrong. Okay. Don't quote me on that. A little fat blue man. Yes. Okay. <laughs> on a on a little on a little, on a little s- floating f- tray. Okay. Yes. The face of Bo? The face of Bo. Just yes. a big head. Big head in a vial. Yeah. Big head in a jar. Okay. Yeah. And the last human. Mm-hmm. That was just the Lady a- Cassandra. A-, a sheet of skin who says, oh, look how skinny I am. Yes. Oh, that... Mm-hmm. This... This, mm-hmm. this is Rick and Morty in galactic cable. <laughs> yeah. If you asked me to parody <laughs> Doctor Who, this scene, this preview is what yeah. I write. Well, I guess we'll just have to come what back to What on earth is this scene? You'll have to watch the next episode to find well, out. I don't think I can. It's... <laughs> You know, they're just all individually mental. Yes. But the collection of them together Mm -hmm. is more mental. I really, I feel like... Please watch the next episode. Let's table this discussion. I I think I'm going to have to just for... Yeah. What is it? What is this? Well, I mean, I guess if, if, if you're thinking that and it intrigues you sufficiently enough that you are going to tune in and watch the next episode, then it's done its job as a next mm. time trailer. You credit where credit is due. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried it'll be like Car Crush television. I don't want oh. to look it, but I can't mm. help turn on. I'm so interested to see what how you deal with the next episode. I mean Oh man. It there is <sighs> Because this is, uh, uh, what, as, as far fetched yeah. as Episode <laughs> One is, it it's relatively grounded. It is. I mean, you've got present and, day Earth. You've got familiar surroundings. You've got you've got everyday sights made a little bit scary and a little bit creepy, and they explain it away with a big uh, bloopy alien at the yeah, end. But at the end of the day, it's people wandering around London running away from mannequins. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't push you in the way that um, that collection of just nonsense yeah. <laughs> at the end of the next episode For of a better term. Yeah. I mean, and whether or not you find it to be glorious nonsense or painful nonsense, I guess we'll find out uh, next episode. <laughs> um, so I've got some questions. I kind of just wanted to... Um, kind of like bigger picture stuff. I just wanted to uh, get your take on. So... The episode's called Rose. Mm. What do you think of Rose as a character as a person? I, I would have to separate that because right. one one of the big questions I asked myself throughout this okay was I, I I remember the series beginning. Yeah. And I remember for a time Billy Piper became the nation's sweetheart. Mhm. I don't think she's that good an actress. I'm going to put it out there. There are a few scenes where... I just felt it didn't work. Yeah, um, I think it is worth bearing in mind... This is her first major acting gig.
1: Mm. Up Uh, until this point,
0: she had been a pop star. Yes. She'd never really done... uh, um, Though I believe she maybe went to stage school or whatever... uh, um, She had never really done serious... I'd be interested to see the end of the journey yeah. as much as the beginning, because yeah. there were a few times where I just thought, oh, "What's going on? What is happening?" Yeah. Now, in terms of Rose, the character, mm-hmm. decision making is not her strong point. You see, it's interesting that you say that because I think there are a few moments that we may be glossed over where she actually really takes charge. Um, and it does interesting if, things. If um, you'd been attacked by yeah. an army of mannequins You would, I would have run away. Yes, of but course. Would you have just disposed of the arm? I think does it get thrown in a bin yeah. and then hunted down? Yeah. What? What she is what? very she is very, very casual when it comes mm. to, to the threat itself. But I think obviously that that I think is part of her character in part of the reason that the Doctor is um, attracted to her. I'm using that not necessarily in a in a yeah. sexual sense yeah, no, but he is... I think why he finds her a, 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 a winning and interesting person and invites her uh, onto the TARDIS is because he's seen the way in which she's handled these scary situations being relatively unfazed I mean like right from that first episode where they're in the lift together and and she um, she says oh are they students and they have that whole discussion why would you think they'd be th- they'd be students oh well you know get enough people dressing up being stupid it's got to be students uh, and you know obviously she's wrong about that but the Doctor recognises that is the most logical mm. uh, conclusion you could come to when you don't have a worldview that encompasses, you know, telepathic alien consciences c- yeah. control plastic. Um, and then there are other moments, like in that ridiculous restaurant scene where, you know, the doctor's there with the champagne and uh, all the rest of it. When Mickey starts attacking and it all goes to shit, what's the first thing Rose does? She runs, she smashes the fire alarm and says everybody out. She's not thinking about herself yeah, there. I suppose she's I've she's uh, misinterpreted. About, I mean, that, I mean. it, these moments, I think, are easy to miss. And I think part of that is down to the direction. I think the direction is... There are moments of, brilliant, of the direction, brilliance of the direction of this episode. There are also some really, really terrible choices where things get underplayed that shouldn't have been underplayed. Things that get overplayed that shouldn't have been overplayed. Um, and I think that's one of those. But then you've got that moment at the end where she's like... She's she's kind of concluding that she doesn't have a lot to hope for, and, but she just goes. She swings about on that chain. Yeah. It somehow works. Pulls up. But that is her. She gets the big hero moment of the episode. The show's That's called true. Doctor Who, but, but the episode's called Rose because he's it's her... in, trouble. in yeah. trouble. Yeah, yeah. She saves him. Um, he would have, you know, he would have been a goner in that situation, um, and. I'll be honest. I don't. I, I. I don't want to talk too much about how I feel about Rose. Oh, uh, you know, over the course of the series as a whole, because you know we'll get there when yeah. we we'll get there. But I. I overall, I do like the way she's written in this episode. She's not a perfect character, you know. Mm. But that is, in part, now the fact that she's meant to be quite young. I think she's meant to be like seventeen or something. Uh, I, I think have... Benny Piper herself was older than that yeah. when, when she was cast. But you know, she's I, I was to be. Say, you know weekend job in a department store but we yeah. established we don't know whether that's her job <laughs> she was just <laughs> she could just be yeah Um. but yeah so she she is young she's had I think it's fair to say a limited upbringing yeah you look I, at you look at the that, influence of Jackie her mum as a character who's was all about like oh you should claim compensation for the um, and the scenes in the flat yeah. as well as with Mickey yeah in I think in his flat yes They're quite claustrophobic. Same set redressed for both of them. Yes, because they they, they couldn't afford two (laughs) floors. They're quite claustrophobic. The space is very small, and maybe that's, you know, her world is very small. Exactly. Doctor Who's going to show her the bigger world. Absolutely. I mean, that is in many ways. That's the the underlying fantasy of Doctor Who, isn't it? That's the appeal of it. It's unlike any other programme, it is all of time, all of space. Yes everywhere and everyone is available to you through this show. Through it, all you've got to do is tag along with this frankly, th- deeply untrustworthy and, and a dangerous man. man. Yeah. Um, but, and it's do you make that choice? And then that's presented very starkly at the end. Mm. And actually it's, for her, it's the, the one, that, the thing that sweetens the deal is of course that it also travels in time. Because of yeah. course he, you know, he heads off, and Then pops back and said, You know, pops his head up. Did you? Oh, did I mention it also travels in time? And that's yeah. the moment that she's like, You know what? Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. So I think she is, whilst the performance maybe is a bit, um, there is a lack of confidence, but I think that permeates the episode as a whole. It's this. The show is figuring out what it's going to be in this yeah. new iteration. Yeah, I think it's like, really, really clear, and it will only become if you ever get all the way through it and go back and rewatch something. You'll, you'll see just like, like I say. I'm interested how much to see of the growth, for want of a better, yeah. term, of Billy Piper, the actress, yes. Rose as the character. Yeah, and there is gro- and there is definitely growth there. There is more to her story that we we haven't seen. Like obviously, Doctor Who is an interesting one in that. The stories are often fairly standalone, but there are there are greater narratives at play. There is character development. Mm. There are st- series arcs. Um, you know, so there is there is some big picture stuff that you know. Hopefully, we'll get to in time. Oh. But anyway, yeah. So this is kind of where we are with Rose's character at the moment. She's like, you understand why the Doctor wants her to yes. take along, yeah, um, and you understand why Mickey is petrified of the notion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um... What did you think of Christopher Eccleston as a doctor? He... Like I said earlier, I was expecting Christopher Eccleston as my impression of him would yeah. be. Action star, obviously, he's quite a big guy. Yeah. I thought he was going to be... Quite gruff. Yeah, 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 but... I liked him. I liked him. Um... For for all I said he was yeah. being a dick, I yeah I, I there's a twinkle there yeah definitely there? definitely it's not entirely without charm yeah, yeah. and he, you know like I say for for when I said I thought the doctor was being a bit of a dick mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleston did a really good job portraying that yeah I I I can entirely see why he was picked for the role. He it's a strong performance. Absolutely. And he was I think he was exactly the right kind of actor for that moment because I I you probably wouldn't have been paying much attention but when the the cuz Doctor Who generates headlines in in British media it's one of the reasons that people who even don't watch the show are always aware of it because because it's a show that's always changing, always evolving, always been part of our history for so many years developments in the world of Doctor Who carry a bit of weight and you'll yeah. get the tabloids reporting on it and stuff. And when news first came out that the show was coming back and the bookies were making their lists and people were speculating, the names that were being thrown around were people like Eddie Izzard, Alan yeah. Davis, like like mostly comedians, exce- yeah. people who are eccentric in their personalities. And... and I- my, again my yeah. perception as as an outsider yeah. when the shift went from Christopher Eccleston to David Tennant yeah David Tennant in in certainly in my eyes and I yeah. think you know it's probably a popular opinion yeah. is top draw mm-hmm. as an actor yeah I, I i i've seen him in bad films yes i've never seen a bad performance from him no he uh, the, thing with, the thing with with Tennant is you, i i've never seen him phone it in
1: Yes, he yeah, just absolutely. He,
0: you always feel that he is one hundred percent committing to whatever this is, even if what yeah. he's in is absolute garbage. Yeah, he, <laughs> he has a clear passion for it. Yes, and he perhaps more than Eccleston, along with Matt Smith, is what I would believe that that more lines up with my understanding of Doctor Who the character. Yeah. Rather than Christopher Eccleston, again, you know, big, burlish bloke. Yeah. I would be expecting the small comedic... Yeah, wiry and yeah. fidgety and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. I, I mean, there are reasons why Tennant in particular has become so iconic as, you know, perhaps yeah. the modern Doctor that all others are often compared to. Especially for people who don't follow the series closely. Um, but I think... That um, I don't know that the I don't know how it would have worked if they'd started with Tennant if we hadn't had Eccleston first to, to change present, that perception, yeah, exactly. So, kind of just be like, no, bloke in a leather jacket, um, kind of gruff, kind of curt, um, but there's a spark there, like, he is like, people can get. Uh, The view of the the Doctor's character is like he's just eccentricity upon eccentricity. When you think when people think about Tom Baker, they think about the scarf and the hat and the grin. They don't necessarily think about the depth that comes with that. Um, I think it would have been very very easy for them to have made the mistake of going with with a more eccentric. Character more eccentric performance and just going right out of the game, <laughs> I'm the Doctor! Yes. And yeah. that would have killed the show, I think. Like, yeah. I don't think we would still have it on the air now if they'd gone down that route. Yeah. And um, I've always had a lot of affection for, for Christopher Eccleston and his performance um, for that reason. I, I, because I think it was just grounded enough but also then just kind of... But with just enough of a of a underlying madness and and, and, and um unpredictability to it, yeah that um, yeah, kind true. of keeps you intrigued um The only other thing that I really wanted to mention was my favorite line in the episode, and it's one of my favorite was it armless It was not sadly. It's one of my... It happens quite early on in the episode. It's one of my favourite lines, not just in this episode, but in the whole series, classic and modern. I think, to me, it perfectly sums up the character of the Doctor, the nature of the show, the appeal of the show. It kind of, in a nutshell, it's everything that makes me love it the way I do. And that's... um, When the Doctor opens the door, waggles the bomb in Rose's face and says nice to meet you Rose, run for your life. Yeah. That to me but is the perfect encapsulation of why Doctor Who is so much fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I can see why you enjoyed that. That, yeah. that was one of the strong points I would say. I think that moment we where looking back I just think like Russell T. Davis as a writer, oh he gets it. He just he gets Doctor Who yeah. like this isn't a perfect episode there there's so much you know we've gone through picked a lot of nits um, I have got issues with the direction some of the performance some of the writing but I'll forgive it and that's the thing you've got to have a forgiving nature with this show and uh, you oh, I you will know develop if I'm it there yet. you will develop it I'm confident that you will but yes we'll we we'll, it could be a long slow process and. Oh, my God, I'm dreading. I'm dreading next. (laughs) So, I I actually have some questions of my own. Yeah, Uh, go for for it. Before we started, I warned you I had a surprise. Oh, yes. Okay? So, what I've put together... Yes. ...is, in line with the episode... Right. ...from Popular Culture... Yes. ...I've put together a mannequin coming to life quiz. Okay. Okay? I've got to be terrible at this. So, there's five questions... Right. ...all based around mannequins coming to life... Right. ...in... Film, yes. television, what yeah. have you. Okay, so I think you're ready in the episode. I fully expect a bed track of <laughs> tense quiz music. <laughs> okay, so we'll start with question one. Uh huh. Probably the most obvious reference. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the 1987 film, Mannequin, mm-hmm. Kim Cattrall plays Emmy, a mannequin with the ability to come to life and speak to the character Jonathan. Played by Andrew McCarthy. I'll take your word for it. Okay. I've actually seen this. uh, Not in the past (laughs) 20 years. Okay. But how did she gain the the ability to come to life? So I have three options for you. Okay. I'm so glad it's multiple choice. Number one. It is a gift from the ancient Egyptian gods to find her one true love. Option two. It is a punishment from the gods (laughs) Due to her own vanity. Right. And number three, Jonathan loves the mannequin so much, the gods gifted the power of life to reward him. Oh. It's not A, eh? because that's empowering women. And I don't. And that f- didn't exist cause... till 2015. I mean, it barely yeah. doesn't now. <laughs> um, so, um, I think. Because it sounds. I don't know what kind of films. Is this like a horror film? It's a rom com. It's a rom It's a really popular 80s rom I've never heard of this film. The, it sounds- of the, the soundtrack is famous. I think it's Starship. Nothing's going to stop us right. now. Right, okay. Um, so your go. options again. Ancient Egyptian gods Bloods. gifted her the ability to find yeah. the one true love. I'm suspicious of that. It is yeah. a punishment from ancient Egyptian gods. Right. Due to her own vanity. Yes. She's transformed yeah. into a mannequin. Right. And third, Jonathan loves the mannequin so much the gods gifted the power of life to reward oh, okay. him. Okay, so I don't think it's A because, as I say, I think that's too empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's C because I think that's just slightly too creepy. I think it's B. I think it's a punishment. You think it's B, a punishment from the gods. Yes. Due to Amazon vanity. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's actually A. It really is. Okay. Oh. F- I think the film starts too cynical. Of my scene. own good. I think the film starts in ancient Egypt. Wow. Okay. okay and ends up, of all places, <laughs> in a department store. <laughs> okay. I mean, where else are you going to go with, mannequins, with I Yes. Suppose? <laughs> yep. okay, okay. Question two. Yeah. In the lesser successful sequel. In 1991, Mannequin 2, on the move. Christy Swanson plays Jessie. Amazingly, another mannequin that comes to life. But how did she gain this power? Okay, here's three options. Yep. She is an alien which incorrectly adopts human form, instead taking the form of a shot mannequin. Yep. Option 2... She has been murdered within the department store and her ghost must find her killer. <laughs> That's bleak. Option 3. She is wearing a cursed necklace gifted to her by an evil ancient wizard. <sighs> okay. Now logic dictates that if we're talking about magic and power of the gods in the first one that they would that they wouldn't then throw aliens into the mix on top of that because you know, this isn't the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this isn't an everything goes, everything in the kitchen sink kind of world. So, again, I'm saying A's are aliens, I don't see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that leaves so do you, do you with th- she was murdered in the department store yeah. and needs to find her killer, Tracking. or she is wearing a cursed necklace gifted to her by an ancient evil wizard. Oh, um, yeah, it's got to be C. It the is Wizard. C, yes. amazingly. Yes. You see, that's not such a stretch. If you've got, if you've got if Magic you know, of the Gods If you know the first film. Yes. It's, stre- c- it's consistent with the franchise as a whole. Okay, yeah. so we're moving away from the Mannequin franchise now. Oh, I, I was hoping that all five questions were going to no, be about no. the five entries in okay, the Mannequin Okay, This series. one is yes. about a Canadian children's television show called Today Special. Right. Which stars Jeff the Mannequin who comes to life when one of these three options occurs. Number one. Okay. Whenever he's dressed in a fancy dress costume, he then goes on to complete the task and teach children about that task. Right. In a very Mr. Ben type way.
1: hmm
0: Option two. At night, animals enter the store where he is kept, and he then goes on to teach children about animals. Right. Okay. Option three. A magical hat is placed upon his head, okay? And he comes to life to teach children about dancing. I don't care. Uh, like, if it if it's C, I'm watching it immediately. About animals coming into the store? No, uh, if it... Uh, oh, sorry, the magical yeah, hat. The magical hat. It's anyway. got to be... That, uh, oh, there's a simplicity to the magical hat. I love that. It actually is the magical hat. Yes! You need to put the magical hat on his head and say the magic words Hocus Pocus Alamagocus? (laughs) Weak. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Makes Doctor Who look like Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question four comes from the 1960 episode of The Twilight Zone titled The After Hours. Oh, you see, I've okay. seen. I, I started watching the Twilight Zone. Okay. I've got about four episodes in. You might have seen the nineteen eighty six remake. No, I which I think I may have seen. Right. Yeah. No, okay. I, I definitely watched the first handful of the sixties black and white ones. Okay. And but I don't think I got as far as the mannequin so, episode. So. Oh. It gets a bit Toy Story here. Right. Okay. Okay. It reveals what we always thought happened in department stores: the mannequins come to life when we're not looking. Oh. Okay, what in this one, the mannequins take their turns in the real world as real people, Ooh. but have come back to their displays when their time is up. Right. Okay. The mannequins are discovered by a girl called Marsha. Okay. Okay. But I'm going to ask you to tell me the ending of the episode oh. from these three options. Okay. Number one, it actually is revealed that during a shopping spree, Marsha faints and simply pictures. Right. It was all life. a dream. Okay. It yeah. was all a vision slash dream.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Option B. Marcia her, Martian... Martian? <laughs> Marsha herself is a mannequin who forgot she was a mannequin. <laughs> the other mannequins just wanted to talk to their friend. <laughs> option C. Marsha sees the purity of the mannequins and the evils committed by mankind she decides to live the rest of her life amongst the mannequins. Oh, good lord. Um, for me, I think it's a toss-up between A or C. Because A is by far the biggest cop-out and Twilight Zone wasn't above a cop-out. Yeah. But also, they liked their big grandstanding moments, which is why C is so plausible. It's... i I, I hope it's not A. I hope it's... So I'm going to say C because I so want it to be C. So you've gone for C that yeah. Marsha sees the purity of the mannequins and I, the evils yes. committed by mannequins. Lives among the she mannequins. She lives the rest of her <laughs> life amongst the mannequins. Yes. It's actually B. Oh, what? Marsha herself is a mannequin. Oh. She simply <laughs> forgot she was a mannequin. What? And her mannequin <laughs> friends and family were just trying to speak to her. Oh, rubbish. Okay. okay. Right. Final question. Yes. I'm going to read you a passage from a work of fiction that Mm -hmm. relates to the possession of bodies. Okay. Okay. All you need to do is tell me the name of the work of fiction. Okay. Okay. So, rather than Autons taking on the form of mannequins. Yes. Okay. The consciousness... Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about is the thetans right okay so you're smiling already i think Uh you might know this answer Uh uh-huh okay so the thetan is the true identity of a person an intrinsically good omniscient, non-material core capable of unlimited creativity thetans have brought the material universe into being largely for their own pleasure the universe has no independent reality but derives its apparent reality from the fact that Thetans agree it exists. Thetans fell from grace when they began to identify with their creation rather than their original state of spiritual purity. Eventually, they lost their memory of their true nature along with the associated spiritual and creative powers. As a result, Thetans came to think of themselves as nothing but embodied beings. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the work of fiction I'm talking about? I think I might be. In we talked about bit. it in the car on the way. Here. We did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have a bit of an interest in this subject matter. So, so um, I, uh, oh, oh, we're not even getting the multiple choice on this one. No. Oh, okay, I'll give you multiple yeah. choice. Yeah, give me multiple because I'm curious to know what other options you, you popped in there. Okay, your options are The Scientology Doctrine mm-hmm. by L. Ron Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Transformers the movie, <laughs> <laughs> and let's say the modern Transformers remake by Michael Bay. Because they're all as nonsensical as each of them. They are indeed. That that would be A, it the, is. the Scientology doctrine. I don't believe it's in Dianetics itself, talk of Thetans. But, I don't um, think so. But um, yeah, I, I, I have. A, uh, we were talking in the car that I have a bit of a fascination with cults and uh, I, I listen to far too many podcasts about cults, um, and yes, sorry to any Scientologists <laughs> listening. You are in a cult. Please try to leave the cult. It's not a good thing just to be in a cult. Just stop just it. Stop. Silly. Stop being in a cult. Stop being a cult. Throw up. Yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so that concludes the mannequins brought to oh, life in pop culture. That was that was delightful. So. Are you going to do this for every episode? Are we going to... Next guess? week will be Shit Blue Little <laughs> Men Alien Quiz. Uh, I'm looking forward to that immensely. Uh, uh. Uh, I'm looking forward <laughs> to tearing them apart. <laughs> three you never know. You might, you might find yourself quite charmed by the mocks of Balhoun by the time the episode is done. we'll see see. and I think we're going to leave it there yeah Um, let's wrap up yeah so Matt thanks so much for watching Doctor Who I mean I I I really do fear this is going to break you as a project I mean I think I can win I think I can beat the Doctor Who fan community we shall see we shall see certainly I think the odds are stacked in your favour early on in this series <laughs> yes. yeah. um, We, you know tables might turn later on but um, yeah it's going to be an uphill struggle I think but anyway uh, thanks no, so much thank and, you very much uh, thank you thank you very much for sticking with us through this uh, this first episode um, which the, the audio quality of which is hopefully at least somewhat bearable yeah. <laughs> we we're, we're, this is our first time podcasting. I'm sure there will be improvements made as, as the series goes on. Um, but yeah, thanks very much. And um, we'll see you next time. A to go. Cheerio! Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. Feel free to get in contact with us. Our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com. Alternatively, over Twitter, we are at Pod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.